Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to be with you today. Uh, if you're wondering, do I recognize where that, uh, that little clip was filmed? It's actually in Pizzy Park. That was made by our creative team here. Uh, Tyson on the video is one of our young adults, and I like to call him our new life model because he's appearing in a few of our shots recently, uh, but a really uh, awesome guy. Um, I was reflecting this morning uh, just about this significant day we have here in our country, and uh, for the majority of my my adult life, I lived overseas, and we moved back here about three years ago. Uh, my family, uh, all my little kids now are Australian citizens. Uh, we had our latest little girl, Maya, here, so she's a true Aussie. Uh, but it's such a privilege, I was just thinking this morning, uh, just reflecting and just what we did earlier, um, the, the country we live in, it's such an honor to be able to uh, call this country home and to be able to even raise our children in this nation. It's just so special, um, the gift and the sacrifice and those who went before us. And I'm just so glad we're able to uh, come together as a church family this morning. I know a lot of you are out at dawn services as well, just to, to celebrate and honor and to remember as well. Um, as you saw in that video, or if you missed last week, we are in, uh, we're getting uh, really into the Word this year, and we're doing some uh, big series at the moment. So we just went through Genesis, and now we are jumping into the book of Ephesians. And believe it or not, we are sitting in this book for the next 12 weeks. So who's excited? Okay, good. A few of you. I'm really excited. I've been just just unpacking this and going through it over the last week or two uh, as I was going to be preaching to you today. And it's just so rich with so much amazing content. And sometimes we could be thinking, well, you know, that happened such a long time ago. And I know it's a letter written to the Ephesians, but what, what do I do with that in my life? But it is just packed and rich with so many uh, principles and ideas and revelations, which I think, uh, I hope all of us will be a little bit different in 12 weeks when when we uh, finish up this series. Uh, for those who don't know me, uh, my name is John. I am one of the pastors here. Uh, Pastor Mike, who you saw on the screen, is actually down at New Life Kulingata this morning. and He'll be up in Brisbane tonight. So it's my opportunity to be able to uh, share with you in week two of Ephesians. And this, um, the, the way we're theming it is, How Now Shall We Live?, as I mentioned before, I have spent a lot of my adult life overseas, and so I've done a lot of travel, been to, I think it's almost 40 countries now, and lived in quite a few of those as well. And I was thinking about what was the longest trip that I've ever taken, like a multiple series of flights. And I, I kind of reflected back, and I think it was, um, I was about 25 years old, and I took a flight from, I was on my way to India, uh, to a place called Varanasi. And so I was in Fiji, in Nandi, so I flew from Fiji, if you can kind of think about it on a map, Fiji to Sydney, Sydney up to Honolulu, Honolulu over the Pacific, that's about a 12-hour flight to Bangkok, Bangkok to um, uh, Delhi, and then Delhi down to the city of Varanasi. Uh, if you haven't heard of Varanasi, it's what many would call the spiritual capital of India, and a lot of people would even say Asia. You see a picture on the screen behind me. It is like this melting pot of different religions and these different beliefs, but kind of the central uh, god that a lot lot of people will go to worship is actually in the form of a river. It's called the Ganges River. And so this is something where people will make the pilgrimage from all over India, um, normally about once a year, or, or if, if, if someone's passed away, or if they feel they just need to go and get cleansed, this is where they will go. And so they'll make this pilgrimage to this river, 
And this uh, river, the River Ganges, is actually considered to be one, if not the most polluted river in the whole world. The bacteria count is similar to that of a sewer, but based on their worldview, and in particular Hinduism, based on their worldview, they actually believe it's a living goddess, and they believe it's pure. Therefore, if you are to bathe in it, you can wash away your bad karma, or if you are to drink from it, Again, similar bacteria count as a sewer, but for their worldview and their belief system, if you are to drink from it, it will actually cleanse and heal you. So I've never been there, but I'm on my, I'm on my flights on my way to the city, and I, I um, jumped on the plane in Bangkok. I'm on my way to Delhi, and I'm sitting next to this young guy. He's about 25 years old, and he's from Japan. He's a university student. And he says to me, oh, where are you going? I said, well, I've got a quick stop over in Delhi, and then I'm on my way down to Varanasi. And he just lights up. He's like, are you also going to bathe in the river? And I was like, no, that's uh, actually not my reason for going there. I'm um, actually connecting with a medical team that are working in the Mother Teresa home that's located right next to the river. I said, what are you going there for? Again, 25-year-old, educated, university student from Japan. He says, I'm a Buddhist, and I'm making this pilgrimage to this river because I believe it's a goddess, and I believe when I bathe in it, it will wash away my bad karma, and I'm going to go and drink from this river. It was one of those moments in life where I realized just how powerful our worldviews are. What we believe to be true will interpret the way in which we live our lives. What I saw when I went there was a polluted river. I I wouldn't even get in it, let alone drink from it. What he saw, again, educated, university student, but Buddhist worldview, what he saw is something that would cleanse him and wash away his bad karma. We see the world not as it is, but as we are. So I arrive, and this is a picture behind me on the screen in Varanasi, and I arrive there, and it's it's one of the more memorable moments of my whole life. Uh, Thousands and thousands of people from all over India and the world who had made this pilgrimage to this city. Just this melting pot of religions, in particular Hinduism, and there are temples on every corner. You, you walk through these different towers that you see on the screen, and you walk down to the river, and there's thousands of people drinking from it, bathing in it. Uh, there, there's um, people, it's a very confronting scene, being cremated next to the river, and their ashes being sprinkled into the river. Just just an unbelievably confronting, wild, melting pot of all these different religions. And one of the thoughts I had when I went there was, this kind of reminds me of what a modern-day Ephesus would have been like. So so the, the series we're in around Ephesians is this letter that is written to the people, the Christians of Ephesus. And sometimes I can think when I read the Bible, uh, you know, how do I relate to this? Because it seems like it was so long ago. But then you end up in a place like Varanasi and you're like, you know what? It actually still happens this very day. It happens in countries all around our world where we have these melting pots of these different religious beliefs. And this is very similar to what they saw there or people found there in Ephesus. So the series that we are calling, How Now Shall We Live? 
we're just going to sit here for about 12 weeks and just week after week, just kind of unpack it and go through it. So just to give you a little bit more context for those who weren't here last week or maybe you list, uh, missed a little bit of it, Ephesians is a letter. I mean, we, we look at it as a book, but it's a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to the Christians in Ephesus, and uh, what he is doing in this letter is saying, here are some principles, here are some ideas, here are some things I want you to uh, learn about or learn from, and then what he's saying to the people of Ephesus and what we can look at for ourselves today is what can we learn and what can we apply to our own lives? Who is God? Who are we? And how do we live? The, the heart of Ephesians, if you, if you were to uh, wrap it down, what is the heart of Ephesians? It's who has God called us to be? So again, just to give a little bit more context about uh, this letter and uh, what Paul wrote and, and who the Ephesians were and who this, uh, what this city was, Ephesus was one of the uh, largest and most important cities in the Roman Empire. It's this hub of business and trade, and it attracted immigrants from all around the surrounding uh, nations. And what they did, they brought with them their, their cultures, their worldviews, their religious beliefs, and for them in Ephesus, similar to Varanasi, it became this melting pot for all these different religions. There's about 50 or so different gods or goddesses, and that's what the city of Ephesus was known for. And these different people would make this pilgrimage, similar to Indians around India making the pilgrimage to Varanasi, they would come in here to Ephesus to worship these gods. It was uh, an intensely spiritual place. Um, there were a lot of the Ephesians lived with this belief that there were all these evil spirits around them, and therefore they had to do sacrifices and they had to do rituals and other things just to keep them safe. When I was along the banks of the, uh, the, Varanasi, the Ganges River in Varanasi, I saw something very similar. So Paul, he came as this uh, missionary to Ephesus, and he spent three years there. And what his hope was, was to just break through this spirit of fear and darkness with this message of hope. So what started to happen is fascinating when you read it. Thousands and thousands in the city of Ephesus started to turn to Christ. And then it started to spread to the surrounding areas. And it got to the point where there's this noticeable drop-off um, of people who were making that pilgrimage to Ephesus because the message of Christ was being spread to the surrounding towns and cities. So when we read um, the letter, it's about six years since Paul had left the cities. Um, what had happened is the church had continued to grow. But because many of those who had converted to Christianity were still holding on to some of their worldviews and some of their belief systems, they were still living in fear of evil spirits and they were carrying around these ideas that they were just these um, worthless pawns of these uncaring gods. And you had this also this conflict between the Jews and the Gentiles and that's kind of coming over into the church as well. There were some ways in which they were living which you could say were not in alignment with who God was calling them to be. 
Again, something we can relate to. When we become believers, we don't just change everything, but we have to kind of change our mindset, change our belief system. And this is very similar to the people of Ephesus. So Paul, he writes this letter. And again, he says, here's some things you need to know. Here are some things you need to have revelation about. Here are some things you must do. Why? He's saying, because you're different now. Because you're followers of Jesus, this is how you shall now live. He's saying, this is what I want you to become. So last week, we, we unpacked the first half of chapter 1. We've got 12 weeks. So we're just going to take our time moving through this. We packed, unpacked the first half of chapter 1. And Pastor Mike walked us through these first few verses. If you missed it, you can follow it on YouTube or on our uh, app and you can catch up with that. But these first few verses in chapter 1 are just saturated with this praise of God. Paul highlights in his letter to the Ephesians, because of Jesus, they have redemption through his blood. They have this hope. They don't have to live in fear anymore. They have this hope in truth. They have this relationship through the Holy Spirit. And what I love about this is right from the beginning, before anything else, any other instruction, correction, or doctrine, right from the beginning, Paul, he starts it with praise. And I think this communicates something about Paul. It communicates something about the author. Paul, he, he was a, this wild guy. If you read the New Testament, he wrote a lot about it. He was this author. He's this theologian. He's super intelligent. One of the wildest missionaries that ever existed. But what I believed, again, the first part of this book reveals to us is Paul wasn't just all business. Paul wasn't about just, let's just get everyone saved and, you know, tell them to do this and live this way. Let's just, just, let's get down to business. It wasn't all about that for Paul. At at the heart of Paul, if you want to tie it back to who he was, Paul, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. His doctrine and theology didn't just fill his head, but it causes overflow of praise. And he sets an example to the believers in Ephesus And for us today, of what a life in Christ looks like. And it begins with praise. Then as we move into the second part of chapter 1, which we're going to be doing today, Paul moves from this place of praise into this place of prayer. And what I think he's modeling to us is a gospel-loving, Christ-centered life begins with praise and prayer. And so that's where we're going to be landing today. We're going to be landing in Paul's prayer for the believers. We're going to be uh, going through chapter 1, verses 15, all the way through to the end of chapter 1. So you can follow along on the screen behind me, or you can also open up in uh, your own uh, Bibles or devices. So let's jump into chapter 1, verse 15. For this reason... Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So when Paul writes, for this reason, 
what I think he's doing here is referring back to the first few sentences of chapter 1 where he's praising God. And he's essentially saying, the reason I'm praying for you is because of the reason I was just praising God for you. It's because you're chosen. It's because you're forgiven. That, that Jesus gave himself as a sacrifice and you are worth it. You're adopted. You're redeemed. You have access to every blessing in the spiritual realm. He's shifting their worldview. He's shifting their mindset. He's saying, for this reason, I'm going to pray for you. And you know what? Sometimes we can find ourselves praying for things because we believe we don't have them, which can be true. But I think what Paul's highlighting here is I believe we can sometimes ask and pray for things which were already promised and are already true. And, and the reason we should be praying for something is not necessarily to ask for it, but it's to awaken something inside of us, something that we already have because we're already loved, we're already chosen, we're already valued. And when... We understand our identity, it will interpret the way in which we live our lives. When we understand our identity, it's going to interpret the way we live our lives. And I think this is something that I know for me personally, and I know probably for a lot of you as well, it's something that we can sometimes struggle with. Sin and doubt and, and struggles of the flesh are a result of many things. But one of the primary reasons I believe we can struggle with being obedient to the faith is because we can, we can sometimes just forget who we are. When I'm with my children and I see them doing something, uh, they're, they're doing something right, I try not to praise what they're doing. I try, I try to highlight who they are. For example, my daughter Malia, she is nine years old, um, one of the sweetest children you'd ever meet. And uh, i got a little son, he's five. And Malia will often play Paw Patrol for all the parents in the room. You know what I'm talking about, these little pups, which my, my son is at least obsessed with. Um, and so Malia, my nine-year-old, she's not into Paw Patrol at all. But I'll often see her playing with my son Samuel and just, just, just out of the goodness of her heart, just trying to play with her brother just because she wants to please him. So when I'm putting Malia down at night, I'll be laying in a bed, giving a little scratch on the back, and I'll say, Malia... I saw what you're doing with Samuel today. And I know you're a nine-year-old girl. I know you're not into Paw Patrol. But the way I saw you playing with Samuel, Malia, that's just who you are. You are kind. What am I doing? I'm calling out her identity, who she is. And Paul, he's saying something similar to the Ephesians. He's saying, you're loved. You're valued. You're forgiven. That's just who you are. He's shifting their worldview. If we go back to the scripture, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the people, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. When I, when I read this, I stopped and I kind of pondered and thought it through a little bit. And I thought, you know what? This should really teach us something. What had Paul heard about the Ephesians? 
What had he heard when he was in jail? What had he heard about the Ephesians? What he had heard is about their love for one another, that they loved one another. And maybe one of the greatest markers of a church getting it right isn't attendance or people walking in their spiritual gifts or uh, doctrinal faithfulness or outreach or whatever it might be, all of those extremely important. But maybe one of the most successful markers of a church, of a church getting it right, is simply love. In a world that's often divided, confused, angry, what is going to be the most compelling influence of a church? It's a church that's united, a church which extends love to one another, a church which extends grace, which walks in forgiveness, overflows in hospitality. Our identities will shape the way in which we live as believers, the fruit of which should be expressed in love. So we keep moving through the scripture, verse 17 I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. What's interesting here is I don't think he's talking about, hey, I just want you to get smarter. He's not saying, I just want you to be more intelligent. I want you to have more information in your head. What he is saying, I believe, is the one who is wisdom... And the one who is revelation, he is praying that they would grab a hold of the Holy Spirit, which is the one in the Trinity that can illuminate the truth to us. He's not saying, I just want you to be better than what you are. What he is saying is, you have the Holy Spirit, and through him, you can receive more wisdom and more revelation for the purpose of what? Up on the screen, so that you may know him better. So if, if we were to like boil this all down, what does it come to? You could almost come to, it almost comes to, you could filter it down to relationship with God. Well, what's this about? Well, that's what it's about. It's about relationship with God. And you know what? Knowing, I think this really speaks to the Ephesians Similarly, even with some of my experiences in Varanasi, knowing about something or about someone or about a God is very different from knowing someone. So uh, quite a few years ago when I used to live over in Hawaii, I was a, uh, a really keen surfer, still loved to surf. And I used to go down to this local spot. I, I really I wanted to fit in with the Hawaiians. It's not always easy, but they love Aussies. So I'd always put on my thickest Australian accent and rock up and just try to fit in with these, uh, you know, rough Hawaiians who were just crazy surfers. And so this big swell had come in and I, I, I jumped on my moped and I used to, I uh, had this Honda Metropolitan, they called it. I put my surfboard on top of the seat and then I'd sit on top of that and I'd go down to this place called Banyans. And so I'm sitting on this rock wall looking at this big surf coming in. I'm just trying to work up the guts and the courage to paddle out because it just looks scary. And so as I'm sitting there, this guy comes and sits next to me. I look over and to my shock and just excitement, it is none other than Kelly Slater. Uh, for those, obviously, a few of you know who that is. 
For those who don't know who that is, he is the number one surfer of all time. There probably will never be anyone else like him, 11 world championships, and here we are about half a meter separating us. So Kelly and I, we had one of the most amazing conversations. You know when you just really connect with someone? Like we, I just felt this connection with him, and we we talked for, it, it must have been, I would say 30 seconds, that might be an exaggeration, but it's at least 25 seconds, but we connected. The next week, anyone that was willing to listen to me, I didn't even care if it was a random person in the supermarket, I told them how I knew Kelly Slater. <laughs> Truth is, I didn't know Kelly Slater. Know a lot about him. I could, I could tell you all about his world titles and where he won them. I can tell you what surfboards he rides and what size they are, who his sponsors are. I even had a 25, maybe let's, let's go with 30-second conversation with him. But I don't know him. I just know a lot of, about him. It's very different. And what Paul's heart is here, shifting again that worldview, his heart in this first part of the letter to the Ephesian church is that they would not just know about God, that, that, that they wouldn't bring their old worldviews into this new belief, but they would know God personally and that they can know God personally through the wisdom and revelation of the Holy Spirit. It was about relationship as we move forward into verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. What Paul is doing here, he's praying that our hearts would be opened in the first century, the heart was believed to be uh, the engine of the human life. And so whatever the heart loved, the life willed. And Paul is saying, I'm praying. I'm praying at your, your very core that your heart would be enlightened, that you would have the right motivations and affections for the things that govern your life. He's saying, I pray that you would see the hope to which you have been called. So I think we'd all know the word hope, it's a very, very powerful thing. I think the reason that Paul started his letter in praise is that I think he knew that whatever we put our hope in is going to create patterns for our lives. Whatever we put our hope in, it will create direction for our lives. If we put all of our hope in money, our lives can just become centered around trying to have security in that. If we put our hope in health, our lives can just come centered and focus on just trying to be healthy and protecting our bodies. If we put our hope in success, our hope can our lives can become centered around just trying to just trying to make it, trying to be successful. Um, again, when I was quite young, 
um, one of my uh, mentors and friends, I was starting out a ministry and, and I was working with this missions organization called Youth with a Mission. And I started to uh, get into different uh, areas of leadership. And this guy who is one of the most incredible teachers I've ever met in my whole life, his name's Matt Rollins. Uh, it's an American who now lives in Singapore. And he's like, John, I'd love to take you out for lunch. I'm like, great. So we went out to lunch and thought we were just going to have a casual conversation, but quickly realized that he had a bit of an agenda uh, to this meeting. And he said, John, you're a young guy. I, I see you starting off in this mission, and I've, I've noticed actually some people are starting to notice you as well, and, and your, your influence is expanding. I feel God's putting you into uh, areas of leadership so you can have influence. He said, that's great. I want to mentor you in that. I want to champion you in that. But just remember, your leadership and what you do doesn't define who you are. And he said, you, you'll find yourself trying to put your value in that and be very careful of that because leadership or influence, like a lot of other things, here I am as a 22-year-old or whatever it is, he said, that can go. It, it can go in a day. It can go in a moment. It doesn't define who you are. Only one person can do that. I remember it was such a powerful lesson. I, I, I walked away, didn't really completely understand the extent of it when I was that age, but I've reflected on it so many times since that where do we find our value? Because it can be so easy to find it in so many other things, but there's only one person that we can find our hope and our value in. There's only one person that defines who we are. Whatever we put our hope in, it's going to give direction to our lives. And, and Paul understands this. And he says, I pray your heart will be illuminated so that you can see the hope that you're actually called to. And, and it's not success. And it's not health. And it's not how we look or money. Those things are fine. And we're probably all pursuing them in, in one degree or another. I'm not saying that they're wrong. They just shouldn't define who we are. Because as I said, and I've seen it a lot. They can come and go. But our hope and our value is found in one person, and that person is Jesus. As we begin to close this morning, if I could have the, the band come up, please. We go to the last verses. The power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule or authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. God is over all things, my job, my family, my finances, my health, my illnesses. He's placed all things under his feet. God is in control. When I was reading and preparing for this, uh, I've shared about this quite a few times from the stage. Sometimes I can really struggle with that. 
Because sometimes, and, and some of you would be, this is your situation right now, life seems so crazy out of control. How can you say that, John? Because it doesn't seem like my current reality right now. I almost thought, well, does Paul really know what's going on here? Because sometimes it just doesn't seem like the case for me. And then I realized the context of all of this and where Paul wrote the letter. He's writing it from jail. He is writing it after being shipwrecked, after being stoned. He's sitting in this Roman prison. He's getting ready to die and he's praying. I pray that you see what's real. I pray your eyes would be open so you see what's really happening in the world, that you really see what's going on in your own life. I pray that you would see. Because the enemy, he tries to whisper lies a lot. He tries to creep in in places we don't expect. And Paul's saying, I pray that the eyes of your heart will be illuminated. That you'd know who you are in Christ, your identity. That you'd know that you'd know Jesus through revelation and that your hearts would be enlightened. That you'd see the hope of the gospel, the hope of which you've been called. That you'd see the mightiness of his power. It was a letter that was written to the Ephesian church, the Ephesian believers. But something I feel there's so much of it that we can apply in our lives today. Would you join me in prayer? So Lord, we just thank you that we can again gather as your family, as your church. Lord, I pray for everyone sitting here right now. I don't know their situation. Some life is amazing. It's going well. Others are maybe in a valley, others are doing extremely tough. Lord, I just pray as we we read in Ephesians that you are a personal God, a God that we can know. Lord, a God that we can feel your presence through your Holy Spirit. So we say, Holy Spirit, right now, come. Pray our eyes would be open, that you would illuminate the eyes of our hearts so we may see you, that we may hear from you, that we may feel your presence in every moment, that we would know the hope of which we have been called, that we can know our identity can be found in the one name that changes everything. And that's your name, Jesus. We pray all of these things in your name. Amen.